Well, good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. As usual, I am your host and I say this every week, but my name is Bill, in case you were wondering, and you had never listened to this podcast in the past, now you know. My name is William Hill, and I do host the Confessing Our Hope podcast, a podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. Today is September 2nd, 2013, and yes, I know you're thinking, you know, this isn't it Labor Day? And, you know, it is, and our esteemed president of the seminary has insisted that us, the students, will go to class on Labor Day. So guess what? We go to class on Labor Day. So this is Broadcast 43, if you're keeping score there at home, and we have a really good discussion, though serious discussion, on tap for you uh, this afternoon, and more about that in just a minute. If you want to find out more information about the podcast, you can do so at confessingourhope.com. There you'll find all information about broadcasts that have happened and ones that are coming up. If you need more information and resources about a particular topic that we've done, All the notes of the program and so forth are there listed on the website. So take advantage of that resource. It is, of course, free on the Internet, confessingourhope.com. In addition, don't forget about the GPTS mobile app. Everybody has apps these days, I think, right? So you should have this one because it's free, and free is good. My father used to tell me there's no such thing as a free lunch, um, but there is a such thing as free apps, And so you can get this simply at either the Google Play Store or the Apple Store, available both in Android and iOS devices. So take advantage of those resources. You have the podcast on it, as well as our chapel sermons and other resources. So use it to your benefit and edification uh, wherever you may find yourself. If you want to find out more information about Greenville Seminary, it's very simple gpts.edu is the website. Most information you could possibly want to know about the school is there listed. If you can't find it, you can write us at info at gpts.edu. As I indicated earlier, we have a very serious, uh, good but serious conversation on tap for this afternoon. We're going to be talking with a man who has written a book um, that is in some sense controversial. We're going to be talking with him about the subject of homosexuality. Now, the issue, unfortunately, whenever it's brought up, it seems as though people bristle, uh, they run for the hills, they hide somehow for some unknown reason. But the question is, how is the church, the body of Christ, to deal with those who struggle, who uh, are wrestling with matters of same-sex attraction, and the issue of homosexuality? We'll be talking with an author, Uh, Pastor Peter Hubbard, who is the pastor of North Hills Community Church here in Taylor's, South Carolina. In fact, I am actually sitting in his church, and I'm thankful for the opportunity to do that this afternoon. But we'll be talking with uh, Pastor Hubbard about this book he has written entitled Love into Light, the Gospel, the Homosexual, and the Church. So, Pastor Hubbard, it's great to have you on the Confessing Our Hope uh, podcast, and I realize as we talked off-air, this is a controversial subject, so I need to ask you right up front, why, as a busy pastor, might you engage in writing a book of this nature uh, at this particular time in our culture and our life? You have plenty of other things to do, obviously, but this seems, as I've read the book, seems like a burden for you. Yes, it is. Uh, The short answer is uh, I felt strongly impressed of the Lord to write this book. Hmm. Uh, The reasons behind that uh, flowed out of Numerous conversations with young men, mostly, who struggle with same-sex attraction. I, I didn't at first. I didn't understand their struggle at all. I didn't really know how to help them. And the more I looked around, the more I saw churches, uh, pastors, who, outside of a periodic uh, condemnation of homosexuality, really didn't have much more to say. So that motivated me to plunge in and explore what what does the Bible actually say and how should the church uh, communicate the compassion of Christ and the truth of the Bible. What's been your experience as far as the church is concerned in relationship to this subject in the past? Do you have any personal experience or maybe uh, situations that you've seen where the church maybe didn't approach this in a God-honoring or biblical way and um, or 
do you have any resources that you've consulted or even looked at to say? Because as we even talked off air, this, it's one of those subjects that you can't go back too far in history and find a whole lot of help. This is a relatively new, as it were, not a new sin. It's been around since since the beginning, but it's been it's new in the sense that it's more flaunted, it's more yeah. open, it's more out there. What what kind of experiences did you have in, in, in preceding even thinking about writing this book that maybe led you to do this? Well, if we were to go way back, you know, through church history, the church has been remarkably consistent in condemning homosexuality. There, there are no prominent leaders in church history, no creeds uh, that uh, commend or condone a homosexual lifestyle. Mm-hmm. But that has often translated into a, a confusing passivity regarding the struggle. It's almost as if, well... We, we just assume it's wrong, so if somebody struggles with this, they need to stop. And we begin to deal with that sin like, we, like no other sin. If someone mm. comes to mm-hmm. us and is struggling with uh, alcoholism or gossip or overeating or anxiety or any other sin, we're, we're ready to jump in and plunge into the scriptures and explore, you know, how can we help this person but when it comes to same-sex attraction, uh, I, I believe most of us, and I'm going to speak as a pastor, in my experience, uh, most of us are paralyzed with how to respond. And I could give many examples, specific examples of individuals who went to their pastor. It took everything in, in them to even share that they had this struggle because they felt like they would be branded and, and discarded. But when they finally shared uh, the pastor just, in one case, looked at, looked at the young man and just said, you're going to have to go somewhere else for help. Mm. And uh, that would be one of the more positive responses. <laughs> right. It, it, it seems, sitting on the outside of this subject and looking at it um, as an outsider, and what I mean by that is that someone who's really not fully equipped or able even given the tools or the mechanics to deal with something like this, that seems like a natural response in some sense. Yeah. Um, why is it that this subject tends to cause that reaction in the first place? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I think there's a couple things happening there. Number one is that that sin is, as the Bible describes, an unnatural sin. Mm. Um, most of us can understand you know, the man who struggles with heterosexual porn or uh, the, the person who's hungry and steals something. There, there's a certain, from a human perspective, there's a rational basis to that sin. But um, most of us can't understand what, why a man would be attracted sexually to a man or a woman attracted sexually to a woman. And, and then when we add to that passages like Romans 1, and, and I believe this is a big part of uh, the, the confusion, is uh, I talked to a, a pastor not long ago who, who really challenged the whole premise of the book because his, his conclusion is because God says in Romans 1 that he gave them up, it is wrong for us to offer them grace mm. and hope because they're given up to their sin. And, and it occurred to me, he, he really believes that to offer hope and help and grace and, or even to call a, a homosexual to repentance is, is to reject Romans 1. And it seems to me in that passage in Romans 1, if memory serves me correctly, that it's not the only sin listed. I believe disobedient to parents is there, so every child that's disobedient, we should not then extend grace to them because they it, are disobedient. Exactly. You think of uh, some of the other sins that are listed, gossips, foolish, faithless, heartless, um, haughty. Hmm. <laughs> We're all doomed. And, and that's, that's, that's really Paul's point, that the given up is, um, paradidomi is to give over, is, is the same word that's used, for example, back in Judges 2.14, where God gave his people over to their enemies. And the purpose, as he goes on to say a few verses later, is that they might repent. 
And then he sent judges to save them. Mm-hmm. So, the, so it was a redemptive giving over. And if you follow Paul's logic from Romans 1 to Romans 3, he's building a case against the immoral in chapter 1 and the moral in chapter 2, and then he's climaxing in chapter 3 that we're, we're all sinners. Yep. We're, we're all hopeless apart from the grace of Christ. So the idea that this is some kind of last train stop on the track to hell, I believe paralyzes many of us from, from a- a- actually offering hope and grace. And, and that doesn't minimize the need for us to call someone living in a homosexual lifestyle to repentance, but we should do that in the same way we call ourselves and our uh, other sinners to repentance. Yeah, let's cut to the let's cut to the 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 end of the story first and then we'll come back and deal with some of these particulars that you have in the book. I especially appreciated chapter 1, but we'll come back to that in a second. In a sense what what I gathered from the book, I mean there was a host of things to gather and there's a lot of material to digest and I admit I share with you off air that I was reading it when I was on vacation in Florida on the beach, which by the way, listeners, I don't like the beach. But be that as it may, I had something good to read while I was on the beach that I don't like. Um, but as I was reading it, I was I was realizing that there's a lot of there's a lot of information here. There's a lot of things that, in some sense, were relatively new to my thinking process because of the general norm in our culture is that homosexual bad, heterosexual good. I mean, there's that divide. It's uh, we try to paint it as a black and white issue, and in some sense, it is that way. I mean, God yes. calls it a sin. There's no question in the in the, the. But the same solution to the things that you just mentioned for all of the sins that we're ensnared with as born sinners by our nature, angry at God and en- at enmity with God, haters of God. The same solution is the same mm-hmm. solution that homosexual uh, those who struggle with homosexuality must embrace. And yes. so you're not saying anything that would be unusual to any other sin. What you're trying to, I think, present in this book is you're trying to show that what the church, cast some light on the church's responsibility in dealing with those that do struggle and not turn them aside as though they have committed the unforgivable sin. Is, is that an accurate exactly. assessment? Exactly. And that's, that's another one of the motivations for writing the book is... Uh, when you see the power of the gospel of Jesus, and then it's almost as if there's an area over here where the gospel isn't supposed to you know, be relevant, you, you just want to stand on a stage and scream out, you know, the gospel changes, uh, addresses that sin as well. Sometimes I wish in my weakness because obviously the scriptures are divine, they're perfect, they're inspired, they're, there's nothing, no error in them. But there are times when I wish the Lord had actually encountered one who was struggling with these things that, that we're dealing with today as we're talking, so that we could see a living example of how it played out. Um, we, we have other examples, of course, of how Christ dealt with those that were cast out of society. Yeah. Um, the tax collectors, the, the so-called sinners, as the Pharisees would label them. We saw that he would interact with them, and I love the answer that he didn't come to um, save the righteous, but to save sinners, the, the sick and the dying are the ones that need a physician. And that's a, the bill paraphrase in case anybody's looking it up in their concordance at this moment and saying, mm-hmm. that doesn't sound exactly right, but that's the bill paraphrase. But the essence of it is the same. And why we don't apply it to this subject, mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure. I think there's the fear factor. I think there's the unknown, fa- what do I do? How do I do it? Kind of thing. Um, and, and I think in some sense, as the illustration you used earlier, there's the also the unwillingness mm-hmm. to do it. I, mean, I got other things to do. Um, you're just condemned, you know, unnatural person. And I think this is why the first chapter of the book, I think, is right where it should be, is in the beginning, and it needs to be here. As the gospel, we're talking about the gospel at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. We're talking about how the gospel impacts people. And what I uh, want to talk through just briefly is these four possibilities for our silence that you hit on, you, you go at this, you really go to the heart of the problem, the silence mm-hmm. of the church, right in the beginning. So mm-hmm. ca- take us through, I guess, in a bird's eye view of these four possibilities that you're, that you're discussing, because they really bridge into the next chapter, I think, as you start to unpack how these are errant views and why these, these, this silence should not be there. Yes. Um, 
basically I'm raising the, the possibility that same-sex attraction is not being addressed in a typical church because maybe homosexuals are not like us, maybe they're abnormal in the sense uh, that they are a different kind of person. Mm. And, and then I address, uh, address that possibility. Or maybe their sin, as the Bible describes, uh, since it is unnatural, then they are possibly unredeemable. And uh, I, I think there's another element that, that I need to throw in there. I, I, I think another aspect that is closely related to this is the in-your-face agenda of gay activists, which helps create that defensiveness for a lot of Christians. You know, a lot of Christians feel like our country is being taken over, uh, they're marching through the streets, they're changing our laws, they're redefining marriage. But, but in some sense, just not to interrupt you, but in some sense, isn't that, I mean, I'll, I'll confess to you openly that when I see that, it does create in me a, a certain sense of anxiety. Yes. Um, is it is that a, the wrong reaction, or it, it does seem? I, I don't know where I read this before. This is an old statistic, I'm sure, but I read that that that, that the homosexual community controls about three percent of the population in the United States. I don't know how accurate that is anymore. This was probably years ago when I read this report, but they they wield a great deal of power they in do. our government and our system. And there is, I think, there is probably an, a healthy sense of anxiety that comes from people who love the Lord, who, who love the Scriptures, and know what the Bible says about these things, that they don't want to see these things turn that way. I mean, the new laws in California, for instance, that just came out, I'm not saying they were motivated by homosexuals, I don't know that, but where men and the young, the boys and girls could, they're, I'm confused, I don't know who I am, yeah. I can go in a girl's bathroom if I'm a boy, and you know, yeah. those kinds of things, I think Americans tend to, never mind Christians, Americans tend to see that and they think, I don't like that very much. I mean, that's, I think that's a fair response. Yeah, and there's, there, that response is perfectly legitimate in many ways. Mm. I, I feel the same way when I see uh, not just changes to the country, but the way it affects individuals. I mean, we're talking about real people who yep. are affected by yep. these changes. Uh, but, but the point would be, um, and what I'm, I'm trying to call Christians back to in this book is yes, we need to address those issues, but but the gospel always begins closer to home. Yep. It it always begins with the heart, and if we don't begin with the heart and then work our way out, if if our if we think we can just pass laws to fix our country, then we're just going to continue to Great slide. Point. We we've got to begin, and so so even though I do address a few of those concerns near the end of the book. Mm-hmm. And we have we address more of those concerns on a website, loveintolight.com. Um, we the primary focus of the book is right on exactly what the subtitle is: the gospel, the homosexual, and the church. Because I believe when the church begins to understand that uh, homosexual sinners are not uh, any different than heterosexual sinners in many ways, you know, the root of their struggle the heart of their problem. That's the third possibility is homosexuals have particular identity. The fourth mm-hmm. one is homo- maybe homosexuals are who they are and they will not change. And, and I begin the book by addressing those four possibilities uh, with a hope that we would rethink how we view this struggle. And um, once that happens, then I think, yes, we can go into the, the culture and address this issue, and, and I believe as appropriate fight these battles uh, politically, but but I think we'll have a totally different tone mm-hmm. because we're moving from the inside out, yep. which is the way the gospel works. Yeah, and, and, I, and I do appreciate how you counteract those four possibilities with realities. Mm-hmm. And especially, um, and, and, and as I was sitting on the beach, okay, mm-hmm. we won't go there, but as I was sitting on the beach and I, and, and I was starting the beginning of the book, where else are you going to start? Well, maybe you jump around when you read. I, I start in the beginning. And when I got to reality number one, I was really struck by the simplicity of the reality that every one of us, whether struggling with same-sex attraction or not, are image bearers. We, are, we bear the image of God. And you use that to counteract, really, the first, question, the first possibility 
that we're abnormal. But the fact is, we're all abnormal. We are. We are. And, and, if, and, and if heterosexuals believe that it's homosexuals who are abnormal and deformed and their sin is different from our sin, then we've denied the gospel mm-hmm. because we are blind to our own dysfunction, our own failures. And, uh, and again, I'm not minimizing the, uh, the brokenness, the sinfulness of homosexuality, but Jesus said, if you're going to address your neighbor's problem, you, you better first get the beam out of your own yeah, eye. That's right. And, and that would be the attempt here is let's look within. And it's not to beat ourselves or feel, make ourselves feel bad, because I think Christians tend to do that it, it, nationally as far as where we are as a country. But it's to personally own, this is who I am. And even in my, uh, my own marriage, I have to begin there. By, by looking at the way uh, I love my wife, I love my kids, uh, viewing uh, the way heterosexuals have what we've done to marriage mm-hmm. far before the homosexual activists redefined marriage in our country or are busy redefining it. Uh, heterosexuals redefined marriage uh, f- way before the yeah, homosexuals. Of course, absolutely. I mean, it's, it, there's no question about that. I was just thinking as you were answering that question about the image bearers and commenting on that aspect of it, I thought, you know, there's another, and this is running a, a field a little bit, which I warned you I'd probably do sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but this reminds me of another particular struggle that goes on in the church uh, quite frequently, um, and that's pornography. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, the world, the world looks at that, though, and says, oh, that's fine. But in the church, it's it's rampant. I, I read an article that fifty percent of the ministers ministers of the gospel never what never I don't care what denomination. Okay, it doesn't break it down that way. Fifty percent are mm-hmm. ensnared in the sin of pornography. So what do we do with them? And what's the response? Is it different than the sin of same sex attraction, homosexuality, or is it the same answer to that problem the same answer to this problem, which is the same answer to any problem right. that we as a human as human beings struggle with. I appreciate what you said earlier about that we can pass laws all day long, mm-hmm. um, but it won't change the, the problem, which is really where you go in chapter two. Yeah. Um, you, you move into the issue that really is the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, give me a little, you know, because of time, just a snapshot. I mean, you, you drive from the gospel, you deal with those myths, as it were, those, those false impressions of the, of the issue, you balance them with right understanding, and then you move to the heart of the matter, which is the heart of the matter. Yes, the, the Bible uh, unquestionably locates the action in the heart. Uh, you can dabble with the exterior all day, but if you don't get to the heart, uh, Jesus located the problem and the solution in the heart. Uh, the Old Testament you know, says things like, guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Mm. You know, our hearts are both vulnerable and culpable, and I talk in that chapter about uh, the need to guard the heart because it is influenced uh, by a myriad of influences, the way you were raised, uh, sexual abuse, uh, the, the style of parenting, everything. You're, but, but, but also our hearts are culpable you know, from it springs the issues of life. You know, we are, our hearts are making, they're at, we are actively making choices regardless of what is done to us. So, so a rich theology of the heart, the heart would describe us as both um, sinners and sufferers. You know, we, right. we experience influences that sh- shape our hearts, but we are actively making choices. And both the I was born gay and the you chose to be gay uh, – are extremes that deny the rich, complex, but beautiful design of of the heart, which is obviously warped by sin, but transformed by the gospel. Yeah, I think a lot of people, too, they respond uh, ignorantly. I mean, I'll I'll say it, ignorantly. They respond with one of two poles on that subject. Either they were born that way, or they choose to be that way, and you know everybody's divided over that. We've seen all these studies done on this subject. They've 
try to find the gay gene, as it mm-hmm. were, and all this stuff. And you know, the, it, it reminds me of a, a story, I, a situation where I was talking with a man about an entirely un- unrelated subject, but he was clamoring about how there's too much war in the world. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, what do you want? And he said, well, I want peace and, and people getting along with one. And I said, well, that's great, but why do you think there's war? And he goes, well, because it's greed. It's people's greed. They, mm-hmm. they want more of what they don't have. I said, well, that's fine. I said, I, I can buy that, but why do you think that's the case? And, and obviously, you know where I'm going with this. Yeah. I'm also going to back up to the real cause of the whole problem in the first place. And he didn't really, we never got there because um, I think he saw the, handwriting on the wall but when we're dealing with those who struggle with same-sex attraction it, it i don't think they wrestle with the fact whether they were born that way or whether they choose that i i sometimes i wonder if that's really the struggle for them right they just know what they are yeah. or what they feel and what their heart the struggle that their heart is having over these matters they know mm-hmm. the right from wrong and they know how to deal with it so so maybe it would be helpful for the listeners if because obviously as i've read this book you've had quite a bit of experience with those in this situation, a pastor, but also one who is reaching out, obviously, to those who struggle with this. And one of the things I appreciated about the book is the real examples of real people, flesh and blood, who struggle in these areas. Maybe tell us of how if a person came to your office and said, you know, I'm going to risk all, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to tell you that I struggle with same-sex attraction. What would you do or say? Take us through it. Good. Um, I think the beginning is, is like Proverbs says, to be a good listener. Mm. And, and the Lord has really worked on my heart in that, because as a, as a preacher, I'm all, always ready to deliver truth. But uh, often, I, I, I was ready to deliver truth without first hearing well. So I, I try to ask the Spirit of God to shut me up long enough to ask good questions. So I'm, I'm thinking of a young man who came to me who uh, attends a university not far from here. He had never told anyone, and he was addicted to homosexual porn. He um, was in a daily battle with same-sex attraction, and no one knew about his struggle. And he actually came after a message I preached a few years ago uh, on, on this subject, and he sensed that it, it, it was safe to come to me, which would be one of my big points for pastors to mm. communicate mm. that, and church leaders in general. But that began a um, us meeting for you know m- many months, just me listening to his struggle, asking questions. Where did this begin? Um, when did you first experience these attractions? Uh, are you uh, feeding or fighting them? You know, and that's when he began describing uh, his addiction to, to to homosexual porn. And but as we kept pushing in to toward his heart, I asked him, you know, when when you feel these attractions toward you know men, uh, what is prompting that? Have you seen a pattern? Is there is there some kind of consistency to that? And he began to describe the kind of man that he is attracted to, and and that as someone who doesn't struggle with that, you know, that was at first confusing to me. So I asked him more questions. You know, what was what was prompting that? And he and he he began describing men who who were you could say um, you know magnetic. Um, certain degree of charisma. They had lots of friends. They uh, often were muscular and uh, had uh, an athleticism that he lacked. And as we began, and I I share this story at the end of one of the chapters, but as we began to follow that trail back to his heart, it became obvious that he was he, he was coveting what these men had, and somehow this desire had warped in his heart into same-sex attraction, but the root of it was was coveting. And when he began to see that, the, the Bible came alive because the Bible addresses that. That's the root of the, our idolatry, our coveting is the, the root of our heart problem that Jesus came to rescue us from. And it, it was fascinating to watch his heart open up, the Word come alive, the Spirit apply the Word. And yes, there were many more questions that we had to walk through. You know, why, 
Why did this become sexualized in him? Why was he um, attracted to someone that he was coveting, you know, to be like? Those are big questions that Mm. we we explored as the weeks went by. But um, today, I I just met with him recently, and it was just so encouraging. I was going to ask you, how's he doing? Oh, it's just so amazing. And he looked at me and and just said, "I, I do not know where I would be if I had not told you, because that, that day he told me, we, we, we prayed, I, I asked him lots of questions, as I said, but, but I really strongly implored him to talk to his parents. Even though he was in college, um, felt like it's important for him to begin to be honest mm-hmm. with those in his, in his life. And he did that, and he thought his parents would freak out, you know, he didn't know how they would respond. And they responded beautifully. And they, you know, their greatest regret was that he hadn't told them earlier Hmm. because they hated the fact that their son was in this struggle alone and they wanted to walk through it with him. And today, you know, two years later, he is walking in purity. He has broken this habit of of porn. He is, um, (laughs) he told me recently, he doesn't know what God wants, but he, he wants to be able to minister to other people who have this struggle in a way that he was ministered to. It's interesting as you were telling that story and just kind of prompted a question, and I jotted it down, as you probably saw. Uh, you know, why would... Obviously, he was in this church. How long was he attending the church here before he spoke with you? A few years. Okay, so what was it then that would even prompt him to, other than the Holy Spirit, um, to even come and be open with you in the first place? Well, and this is, I mean, it really drives back to the book itself. Yeah, because this is this what is, I'm driving This at. is your vision, and you like to see the church more, doing more. What is it about this church or your ministry that would open those doors of conversation? Yeah, and that's why I'm so passionate about same-sex attraction being discussed, not just in the caverns of the counseling offices, which is great, but... But, but that most pastors would rather, I know I would rather have a lot of things just dealt with there, but the, the, the problem with that is it still sends a message that there are certain sins that you cannot talk about, there are other sins you can't. And when the Lord led our elders, and uh, I'm the teaching pastor, so I, I had been especially burdened to, to, to address this topic— to do a series. We did a five-week series on same-sex attraction, Mm -hmm. and I remember some people saying, how can you talk about that for five weeks? I mean, what are we going to talk about? And there were even some parents who were thinking, I'm not sure I'm going to be coming for these five weeks. And we, we met with our parents and helped prepare them. We had a children's ministry going on so that our kid, younger children could um, step out of those, uh, those services uh, but we helped our parents of teens be equipped to address these su- this vital subject with their teenagers. And every service, every one of those five weeks, we had testimonies from people who had come out of a lifestyle of homosexuality. Uh, some were live, some were video. And the, I, I, it was at the end of one of those messages that this young man came forward and as you say, I mean, it took, it took everything within him to acknowledge that this was a struggle. But by talking about it publicly and teaching what the Word of God says with the hope of the gospel, um, it, it sent a strong message to him. And he's just one of many. I mean, I could tell stories for hours. Um, it, it sent a strong message that it, this was a safe place to get help, and he would not be viewed um, as having a, a special sin that would assign him to uh, go somewhere else. Yeah, to being labeled as you and you talk about this idea of labels in the in the book. It's I believe it's you know, chapter five in the book, and I want to get there really quickly. Um, as always, time seems to run faster than I wish it did on some of these conversations because there's plenty to talk about as it pertains to this matter, but. The, the idea of being labeled, I mean, I'm not sure. My memory is failing me. I'm getting older, um, as my daughter tried to tell me I wasn't earlier today, but it's just not true. Um, but we, we, do, we live in a culture of labels. Mm-hmm. Um, everything's got a label. 
Uh, my label is type A personality, okay? But people don't always, I don't think they use that as a, as a compliment oftentimes, maybe sometimes. Mm-hmm. I don't take it wrongly. I don't care. Um, that's how God made me. I'm type A, mm-hmm. sorry. Um, but we, we sometimes unnecessarily label people. And, and I find that to be the case, not just in, with the homosexual community, but a whole bunch of communities, a whole bunch of cultures, a whole bunch of issues. How is this, this chapter fitting into your goal or your vision for the book? It comes right in the middle, um, and you start dealing with this whole issue of labels. Um, tell me a little bit about that. One of the reasons I, I began working on that chapter was I noticed it, it follows right after the chapter about what the Bible actually says about right. homosexuality. Right. And the Bible does seem so clear. I know I've spoken with many uh, people who would call themselves gay Christians who believe that it's okay to be uh, gay and you know follow Jesus. Uh, but the more I look at what the Bible says, it's not just a couple of verses. It's the entire... Word of God is crystal clear in its statement, and it comes at it from so many different directions, um, that, that the homosexual lifestyle is not consistent with being a follower of Jesus. Yet, yet many Christians, um, and, I, and maybe I should use that word in quotes, um, many people today believe that I can be Christian and gay. And, and part of the rationale behind that is often this idea of labels, that, that somehow if I am, identify myself as gay, that puts me in a place where the clear teaching of Scripture can't apply, because this is who I am. Right. And once you move from that premise, this is who I am, then, then we, mustn't, we must misunderstand God the Bible. God wants me happy. He made me this way. He Therefore, made me this way. it's fine. Yeah. And the Bible says a lot about love, and it would be loving for you to affirm what I say I am. Right. But all of that is predicated on the assumption that that is who I am. And so the purpose of that chapter is to raise the question, maybe, maybe God should be the one identifying who we are, because the Bible is replete with examples that he is the one who labels us. He's the one who names us. He named Adam. He, he empowered Adam to name Eve. They named the animals. And the enemy, Satan, tried to rename them. The beast tried to rename God's creation, which is just flipping everything backwards. And I think the same thing is happening today. Uh, the, we, are, we are questioning. It goes back to your, your entire view of the world. Yep. We are questioning our origins we're, if we're just evolutionary beings who have these cravings, then to question my craving is to deny my identity. And, and I think it follows if, you, if you're moving from an evolutionary assumption. But, but if, you're, um, if, you, if you believe God created us and names us and defines who we are and what he's called us to, then you're moving from a very different basis. Yeah, and, it, and it's contradictory to say, as you pointed out on page 93 of the book, where you describe this man um, who you take odds with his labeling of himself as a gay Christian, mm-hmm. but the fact of the matter is, if you are a Christian, you have another name yes. applied to you, and that is the name of Christ. You mm-hmm. are no, no longer your own. You've been bought with a price. Um, you belong to him. Um, and so, though you clearly express that you understand what he's getting at, the reality is that that could be just that expression, that label, mm-hmm. could be, I think, unhelpful, yeah. maybe, to those who are struggling with this issue. I think so. I think it's just getting it, I think it's getting it backwards. You know, do I, if, if I'm an anxious person, do I label myself an anxious Christian, a, a gluttonous Christian, a proud Christian? Uh, yes, a Christian can can commit those sins, uh, but but Jesus, as you say, Jesus renames us. We are in Jesus. That is our address. That's our name. That's our label. Well, we're running short on time, as always happens on these conversations, um, and there's so much more to talk about. So, as I told you I would do, and I often do, and those who listen all the time know I do this, you need to get the book. 
you may not agree with everything in the book. I don't think the author would presume that you're going to agree with every word that he writes down. I didn't agree with every word that he writes down, mm-hmm. though I can't remember anything that I didn't agree with, so I can't ask right now. When I get home, I'll probably remember, as it turns out. But the point is this. This is a subject that the church can no longer ignore. I mean, it's in our face every single day. We see it on the news. We hear about it, laws being enacted. It makes us upset. It frustrates us, and we've talked about that. And we've even admitted, the authors even admitted that, legitimately so. It, there's a certain sense of anxiety that comes with those things. Um, but the reality is this. There may be people sitting in your church right now. If you're a pastor, you're an elder in a church, you may have people, men and women in your church right now, who are struggling with this particular issue. And just exactly what would you do if they came and said it to you? How would you respond? How would you react? This book can help you deal with that news bomb, if you want to use that word, um, in an effective manner. This may be a person who's professed faith in Christ, who you've seen grow and walk with the Lord, but yet they struggle intensely and alone oftentimes with this problem. And the author of the book has given one illustration. The book has more than that, which I really appreciated, by the way. It helps put names and flesh to the theory, as it were. Um, but, Pastor Hubbard, let me ask you this as, as we kind of wrap things up. And I know we, we, we've barely touched the surface, mm-hmm. and I realize that. Um, if it was up to you, if you could wave a magic wand, I use that term loosely, but if you could wave, wave, wave a magic wand and, and the church were to change their approach in this subject, how would you see that, envision that happening? I mean, you know where we're at today in our culture. Yeah. And yeah. How, how do you see the church transitioning from this isolation mentality, bad, label, no good, evil, you want to be that way, uh, you're doomed mentality? Mm-hmm. That's the extreme. Then the other side of that, of course, is the is the wrong is bad on the other side. You know, acceptance, no repentance, no gospel. Just God made you that way. It's okay. Just live out live out your passions. Who cares? How would you see the church find that middle ground that really seeks to to bring true change in the lives of people that are struggling? Good question. Uh, I would long for us to go back to who is Jesus, and 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 what what has He done? Because I, I really believe that the same, same-sex attraction today is the equivalent to what leprosy was in Jesus' day. Now, I know mm. it's different. It's, it's more of a moral issue than a physical. But in that day, they, they often viewed leper, the leper from a moral perspective, you know, believing he was condemned. And, and uh, I think if we could remove homosexuality from this uh, elite status as sin uh, on steroids and great, and, and, and begin to, to understand that we can normalize without legitimizing mm-hmm. or compromising we can we can bring it in back into where i believe the bible puts it and that it is it is a vile sin just like all sin is vile before a holy god and that will throw us on the gospel of Jesus, and we will move toward the shadows, which is exactly where Jesus moved. He was always pushing out of where people were in, in, in the majority and comfortable to the person who was off in the shadows, yeah. who was rejected. And I believe every church has people who struggle with same-sex attraction at various levels. They're in your church. And the question is, are they, uh, are they, do they feel safe enough to share their struggle, uh, to get help? Because what I'm seeing over and over again, and I talk to someone almost every week, uh, parents whose son or daughter just all of a sudden announced, I'm gay, and they're off living with someone in a, in a homosexual relationship. And there were indications all along, but, but both the church and the family never created an environment where, where that child could be open and honest and believe they could get help until it was too late. And we're, we're seeing people come for help earlier and, and seeing remarkable change. And I'm not saying that's automatic or easy. Uh, I believe it does magnify the power of the gospel. It also exposes our own pride and insecurity. But we, we provide a lot of help both in the book, Love into Light, 
and uh, on the website, loveintolight.com, where we try to provide practical help for pastors who want to deal with this, just aren't sure how. There's a process for pastors. There's also a, uh, a series of interviews of Ed Welsh, which I believe are hugely helpful on the website uh, to get the right attitude about this struggle without compromising, but still demystifying this, this confusing subject. Yeah, and hopefully, if you are an elder or a pastor out there, and you're you're listening, you know, yeah, you gotta you gotta get the blinders off. I mean, the sins of your youth that everybody was repulsed by, and probably rightly so, um, are now very open and in our face. Mm-hmm. And if you really believe the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, if you really believe the gospel is the thing that changes lives, including the sin of homosexuality, then why would you not deal with this like you would deal with any other sin? Seems like a reasonable question to me. Someone who's training for the ministry, I'm thinking, as I'm reading this book, I'm thinking, what would I do if one of my members of my church came to me and said, Bill, um, I'm afraid to say this. I don't know how to say this. I don't know how you're going to react to this, but what would I say? What would be my response? Hopefully my response would be the same response I would have if a woman came to me or a man came to me on church and said, I've been living in an adulterous relationship with another woman or man for the last five years. It's sin. You've got to deal with that, that part of the issue, but then you've got to get to the point of what's the hope of the gospel. Do you leave them doomed or do you leave them with hope? And you work through that. It doesn't happen overnight. I don't know anybody who's come to Christ overnight. Yeah. It took me years to get there. Um, so anyway, I could go on for a while on this and I'm sure my guests could as well mm-hmm. get the book. It is chock full of helpful things. Um, the website is loveintolight.com. If you want to find out more information about the different things that are actually discussed within the book. And, um, I think you mentioned Ed Welch who is, everybody knows who he is. Um, and yeah. so great resources available to you. But look, the church can't keep ignoring this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if we're going to be ministering to people who are hurting and often alone, we're not, we're not talking about people who live, like in the book you tell the story about, about going to the gay pride um, parade here in Greenville. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was, when I read it, I thought, okay, this, is, this ought to be an interesting story. And you weren't shocked by the way they were acting. Yeah. But you were shocked by the other side. The, yeah. the hate and the rank-and-file animosity. Um, I, I don't know. Has anybody ever been won over by hate? I'm just, mm-hmm. If you have, write me and let me know, because I don't know anybody who has. Yeah. <laughs> um, so um, that doesn't usually work. What, what this book advocates is a real strategy, mm-hmm. I think, if I, unless I've misunderstood the book completely, um, a real strategy for people in the church to care about those who are struggling with these issues to start really addressing them. And you know what? Probably going to have to start with the person that has to address the issues first. Amen. Amen. Any final thoughts or words about the book? Or why don't you tell our listeners how they can get the book? That would, of course, be very helpful. Yeah, again, it's called Love Into Light, The Gospel, the Homosexual, and the Church. Um, And my name is Peter Hubbard. You can go on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, CBD, any uh, WTS books, Westminster books. Um, all of those carry the book. Uh, if you, There are some churches that want to deal with this in a Sunday school class, and uh, they want to follow through as a, as a group. You can, you can buy bulk really cheap through the website. There's information there. And, and I want to challenge anybody in leadership or even if if you're not a pastor or ministry leader and you have a specific question about some of the things we've we've talked about there's a way to contact us on the website and please feel free if you disagree with what we're saying you feel like we're missing the point if you read the book and you feel like we we're not getting it i would love to interact with Mm. you about this because i do feel like the church has a lot more to learn about how to navigate this difficult subject in a way that is both consistent with the scriptures and helpful to to people who are struggling. 
But we have seen great fruit from this, not just in those who struggle with same-sex attraction, but in our church as a whole. What I thought may hurt us as a church has conversely um, blessed us because people begin, we begin to see our own hearts more clearly when we move to the places where Jesus is working uh, most powerfully. Absolutely, and that's well said, and I think that's a great way to conclude um, our discussion. I will have a link on the website to the book at WT Books, Books, which, by the way, I think they owe me a thank you card for all the money I've spent Mm -hmm. in their bookstore over the years. (laughs) A lot of money, I might add. So if they're listening, you can write me at confessingourhope.com, and you can thank me. Just, I'm just kidding, of course. <laughs> but you get, I'll have a link there to make it very easy for the listeners to get a hold of it. Pastor Hubbard, it's been good. I know it's Labor Day. I know you got a family outing this evening, and but you took time out of your schedule. Obviously, very busy man because you're here on Labor Day studying. Um, as I was informed by your assistant that that would be the case, and so mm-hmm. I had forgotten it was Labor Day for for reasons I've already said. Um, but I appreciate you taking the time to talk about this. I know I can tell by sitting across from you, and this is something the listeners don't see is that you're very passionate about this mm-hmm. subject. It's, it's obviously a burden for you mm-hmm. to see these people really reached out with the gospel um, and to help them to understand who they are in Christ and to work through these things, these temptations and these struggles. And so I appreciate that very pastoral approach to the subject. Let me tell you, listeners, what's coming up. Well, actually, I would tell you what's coming up on the program, but I have no idea. And you've heard me say that before. Um, actually, I do have an idea. I have an author lined up uh, for the following week on a book on the Heidelberg Catechism, how to do family worship using the Heidelberg Catechism. It's a very good book from what I can tell, um, but I can't give you any more information because, I, well, I just can't. You just have to trust me, but I can't. But anyway, <laughs> I know you're thinking, this is the internet world. How can you not know? Well, that's part of the problem. I didn't ask to connect to the internet when I got on site, so I can't pull that information up, but that's okay. Go to the confessingourhope.com website. That's where the information will be anyway. For future, down the road, uh, Dr. Joseph Piper will be back on for our faith and practice segment. It's the third segment. Um, so if you have questions for him, have a theological or practical nature, write in. Use the confessingourhope.com website. And there's a form there. It's very simple. Write in. Maybe you'll win a free book if we read your question on the air. So let me know uh, what your questions are. Well, don't let me know. Let him know. Because I don't have any say in the matter. I just give him the questions. He picks them. So if he doesn't read your question, it's his fault, not my fault. So I love you, Dr. Pipe, but don't worry about it. Anyway, so until then, we do thank you for listening to this particular edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. And God bless.